Well, friends, would you uh, turn with me, please, to the words that we read in uh, John 21, uh, John's Gospel in chapter 21, and reading verses 15 to 17. We read, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Just before Christmas, I was preaching in the evening on Jude verses 5 to 16. And after preaching on it, I said to one of the congregation that I would never preach on those verses again. They were some of the hardest verses that I've ever had to preach on. It was maybe the hardest sermon that I've ever had to preach. But there are other parts of God's word that I return to again and again and again. John 21 is one of them. Uh, These were the verses that I preached on when I was licensed by the Northern Presbytery back in 2012. They were the verses that I preached on at my last morning service in Thurso in 2015. And they were the verses that I preached on at the New Year's Eve service in the High Free that same year. This morning we're going to be concluding our studies in the life of Peter And we're looking at these verses under three headings. The inquiry, the indication, and finally the imperative. First we have the inquiry. Look at verses 15 to 17. Here John focuses on the inquiry inquiry that Jesus makes regarding Peter's love. The inquiry that Jesus makes regarding Peter's love. Before proceeding, let's remember the context. In verses 1 to 3, John highlighted the fruitless expedition. Peter and his companions had gone fishing, but they had caught nothing. They were feeling like failures, failures as fishermen, but also failures as followers of Jesus. Then in verses 4 to 9, John highlighted the friendly instruction. Jesus had appeared on the shore and had directed them to cast their net on the right side of the boat. They had done so and had caught so many fish that they couldn't haul the net in. Then in verses 10 to 14, John highlighted the free invitation. Upon arriving on the shore, the disciples had met Jesus standing by this charcoal fire with bread and fish cooking on it and the friendly invitation from Jesus to come and have breakfast. It was an invitation to this group of men who had doubted him, who had denied him, who had deserted him to come and have a time of fellowship and friendship with him. We can move from the context to the conversation in verses 15 to 17. John records the first question and the answer it received in verse 15. We're told that when they had finished breakfast, Jesus addressed Peter. He starts by addressing him as Simon, son of John. If you remember back in John chapter 1, Jesus had given him this name Peter, meaning rock. But now Jesus is addressing him by his old name, Simon, son of John, 
which seems to suggest that he has been deposed from his calling to be the follower, the rock-like follower of Jesus. And Jesus continues by asking him a question. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Just a few days earlier, Peter had made the proud declaration, the bold declaration, the boastful declaration that even if all the other disciples denied and deserted Jesus, he would never do so. He had made the declaration that he loved Jesus more than all the others. And now Jesus asks him, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these other men love me? And we're given Peter's answer. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. It is a strong affirmation. It is an emphatic affirmation. And having heard Peter's answer, Jesus responds, feed my lambs. Jesus is making it clear that if Peter really loves him, then that love for him will be shown in Peter's sacrificial care, his selfless care for those who belong to Jesus, those who are part of the flock of Jesus. Bruce Milne writes, Peter discovered that no matter how desperate our failure or how deep-seated our shame, Jesus can forgive us and renew us and then use us in his service. Failure is never final with God. It's not lovely. Failure is never final with God. John then records the second question and the answer it received in verse 16. Jesus isn't finished with Peter and he asks him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter repeats the answer that he had just given as he says, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus responds to that affirmation with the words, Tend my sheep. And John then records the third question and the answer it received. Look at verse 17. Jesus still isn't finished with Peter and he asks him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And it's at this point that Peter breaks. It's at this point that Peter cracks under pressure. He sobs, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Peter can't make any boasts about what he has done in the past. Neither can he make any promises about what he will do in the future. All he can appeal to is Jesus' knowledge of all things. And because Jesus knows all things, he will know that Peter loves him. And Jesus responds to that affirmation with the words, Feed my sheep. Now, friends, as we consider these verses, we're being shown that love for Jesus lies at the heart of the life of faith. Love for Jesus lies at the heart of the life of the Christian. That's what we see in John 21. Peter had denied Jesus, he had disowned Jesus, he had failed his Lord. And the first question that Jesus asks him isn't, Peter, do you promise never to do that again? The first question that Jesus asks him isn't, Peter, are you sorry for what you have done? The first question that Jesus asks him is, Simon, son of John, do you love me? That is what matters to Jesus. Does Peter love him? And that is so important for us to think about today. Kent Hughes writes, the abiding principle is that before all things, 
even service to the Lord, we must love him with all our hearts. That is the highest priority in life. It is the first question for every theologian. It is the essential question for every pastor. It is the supreme question for every missionary. It is the number one question for every one of us who wants to please the Lord. Loving the Lord is the highest priority of our lives. Perhaps you've come here today and you're, you wouldn't have called yourself a Christian until now. You enjoy coming to church. You like the songs. You like the sermons. You like the people. You even like the preacher. You frequently thought to yourself, I would like to be a Christian. But you're still wondering what being a Christian actually involves. And this passage is telling you that being a Christian boils down to this. Love for Jesus. Can't make it more simple. Being a Christian boils down to this. Love for Jesus. Or perhaps you've come here today and you've had a Peter moment. You'd have to admit to being a bit of a failure as a Christian. Maybe you failed the Lord recently. Maybe you failed him a long time ago. And you're wondering now if there is any way back for you. If there is any hope of restoration for you. Or are you just finished as a Christian? Has the Lord washed his hands off you? And this passage is reminding you that being a Christian boils down to this. Love for Jesus. Love for Jesus. This morning, Jesus is coming to us, whoever we are, wherever we're from, whatever we've done. And he's asking us this heart-probing question. Do you love me? Do you love me? You might have been a professing Christian for 50 years and Jesus is saying to you, Do you love me? You might be a backslidden Christian and Jesus is saying, Do you love me? You might not even be a professing Christian and Jesus is now putting you on the spot and he's saying, Do you love me? But we move on to the indication. Look at verses 18 and 19. Here John focuses on the indication that Jesus gives regarding Peter's death. The indication Jesus gives regarding Peter's death. Verse 18, John records the pronouncement that Jesus made. Jesus begins by making a solemn statement. He has just asked Peter if he loves him. And Peter has affirmed his love for him three times. And now Jesus says to him, truly, truly, I say to you. That is an expression reserved for Jesus' most solemn teachings. It is a serious moment. Peter needs to sit up. Peter needs to pay attention. And Jesus continues by telling Peter what he did when he was young. Look again at verse 18. He used to dress himself. Used to go wherever he wanted. Peter enjoyed freedom. He enjoyed liberty. He was his own man. And then Jesus tells Peter what will happen to him when he's old. Look at verse 18 again. He's told that he will stretch out his hands. In the ancient world, stretch out your hands was an expression that, was, uh, what, that described death by crucifixion. Jesus is, Peter has been told that he is going to stretch out his hands, dying on a cross. 
And he's then told that another will dress him. And he will be led where he doesn't want to go. Once upon a time, Peter enjoyed freedom. Once upon a time, he enjoyed liberty. Once upon a time, Peter did whatever he wanted. But a time is coming when he is going to be led away by someone else to a place he doesn't want to go. And John goes on to record that Jesus was predicting Peter's death as he made that pronouncement. Look at verse 19. He writes that Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death that Peter was going to die. Peter had once expressed his willingness to go to prison and even death with Jesus. And now Jesus is saying, yep, Peter, you are going to die. You are going to die on a cross. You are going to die the same kind of death that I died. You had once said, Peter, that you would go to a cross with me. Now, Peter, you are going to go to a cross. And John also says that Jesus said this to indicate that Peter's death would glorify God. Throughout John's Gospel, there is this emphasis that the death of Jesus was the place where he supremely glorified God. Showed the greatness of God, the worth of God, the majesty of God. And here at the end of John's Gospel, we're told that Peter's death on a cross will also glorify God, will also magnify God, will also display the greatness of God. Now at this point, there's something that's very significant that we shouldn't overlook. The earliest and most credible historians tell us that Peter died by crucifixion under the orders of the Roman Emperor Nero in about 64 AD. And so for about 30 years, Peter lived with this death sentence hanging over him. For 30 years, Peter lived knowing that a day would come when he would stretch out his hands, be led to a place he didn't want to go, and would die on a cross for the glory of God. Now that is an almost unbearable burden to carry. Imagine being told that you are going to die the most unbearable, excruciating, cruel death ever devised by man. You would think that Peter couldn't cope. But as far as Peter is concerned, death by crucifixion is a far lighter burden than having to go through life under the weight of guilt, the weight of shame over denying and disowning Jesus. As far as Peter is concerned, it is a far lighter burden to die by crucifixion than have to go through life thinking that his friendship with Jesus was broken, damaged beyond repair. As far as Peter is concerned, it is a far lighter burden to be crucified than to go through life thinking that his relationship with Jesus was over, his place in Jesus' kingdom forfeited. Maybe some of you have known something similar. You have thought to yourself, I would rather die the most unbearable, unbelievable death than for Jesus to wash his hands off me. That was what Peter's attitude was. And so friends, as we consider these verses, we're being shown that Jesus has a perfect foreknowledge of his people's lives. Jesus has a perfect foreknowledge of his people's lives. That's what we see in John 21. Jesus speaks to Peter about his future, about the days that lie ahead. And Jesus tells him that when he's old, 
He is going to die on a cross for the glory of God. Jesus is making it clear to Peter that he has a perfect foreknowledge of his life. And that is so important for us to think about today. Jesus is the sovereign saviour who has a perfect foreknowledge of each of our lives. J.C. Ryle puts it like this. It is an unspeakable consolation to remember that our whole future is known and forearranged by Christ. There is no such thing as luck, no such thing as chance, no such thing as accident in the journey of life. Everything from beginning to end is foreseen. We may have to walk sometimes through rough places on our way to heaven, but surely it is a comforting, soothing reflection. Every step of my journey is foreknown by Christ. Don't you find that a comfort? Every step of my journey is foreknown by Christ. My friend, there is nothing that you have ever gone through that Jesus didn't know about and it took him by surprise. And there is nothing that you are currently going through that Jesus doesn't know about and that has taken him by surprise. And there is nothing that you will ever go through that Jesus doesn't already know about and that will take him by surprise every step of our journey, every twist and turn on the road, every success and setback is foreknown by him. There's a walk in the north of Sutherland and it leads to a sculpture by the artist Kenny Hunter. It's called The Unknown. And when I first did that walk, there was something a bit creepy. There was something a bit ominous about walking out into the hills that was simply signposted to the unknown. That's all it was. Just a sign pointing in the westerly direction saying to the unknown. And sometimes that's how it feels as we journey through life. As we make our way through this world. Everything seems to be so unknown, so uncertain, such a, such a worry to us. But there is nothing about our past. There is nothing about our present. There is nothing about our future that isn't already known and wasn't known by Jesus. And so this morning, friends, we are being encouraged to take heart from remembering Jesus' perfect foreknowledge of our lives. He knows everything. Take heart, friend. There is nothing that you are going through, nothing that you have gone through, nothing that you will go through that isn't known by Jesus. He knew last year that the Bri would be closed on the 8th of January 2023. He knew on Friday night when I messaged Spangy the songs for Sunday that it would actually be Ali and Malcolm leading that singing. Nothing isn't known by Christ. Every step of our journey foreknown by him. And then third and finally we come to the imperative. Look at verses 19 to 22. Here John focuses on the imperative that Jesus presents regarding Peter's discipleship. 
the imperative that Jesus presents regarding Peter's discipleship. In verse 19, we hear Jesus' demand. Now remember what Jesus has just said. He has made this inquiry about Peter's love for him. He has then indicated the kind of death that Peter will die that will glorify God. And now we hear Jesus issuing an imperative, a command to Peter. Jesus turns to Peter and he says to him, follow me. Now, at one level, he's simply asking Peter to accompany him for a walk along the shore. He's saying, come on, Peter, let's go for a walk. But at a deeper level, he is calling Peter to walk with him and follow him as his disciple from now on. Verses 20 and 21, we move from Jesus' demand to Peter's distraction. We can know what Peter does. Look at verse 20. We read that Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. We're also told that this was the disciple who had been reclining at table close to Jesus and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? Now, this unnamed disciple is John, the author of this book that bears his name. And now Peter turns and he sees that John is following them. It's incredible. Peter has just received this call, this command, This invitation, this imperative to follow Jesus. And within seconds, Peter has become distracted and is focused on John rather than following Jesus. And isn't that true of us? That Jesus says, you follow me and we think to ourselves, well, how's Roddy doing? How's Malcolm doing? How's Ali doing? We can then know what Peter says. Look at verse 21. As Peter sees John, he asks Jesus a question. Lord, what about this man? Peter has just been told that he is going to die on a cross for the glory of God. But instead of letting that sink in, his mind is wandering to what kind of assignment Jesus has for John. What kind of assignment Jesus has for this disciple whom he is especially close to. In verse 22, we move from Jesus, from Peter's distraction to Jesus' demand. We can hear Jesus' word of caution. Look at verse 22. And C.S. Lewis is the horse and his boy. And there's a conversation between the lion Aslan and this young boy Shasta. Aslan's recounting all the ways that he had been with Shasta. All the ways that he had protected him. All the ways that he had come through for him. And Shasta then asks Aslan why he had allowed his friend Aravis to be wounded. And Aslan says to him, Child, I am telling your story, not hers. I tell no one his story, but his own. And that is what Jesus is effectively saying to Peter. He says to him, if it is my will that John remains, what is that to you? You follow me. Jesus is telling Peter that what will happen to John or any other of the disciples is really none of Peter's business. Peter just needs to get on with following him. And we can then hear Jesus' word of command. Look at verse 22. Jesus has cautioned Peter and told him to stop being so concerned about John. He now gives Peter the command, you follow me. That is what Peter is to occupy himself with. Not focusing on how others are doing, 
but rather how he is doing when it comes to following Jesus. Well, friends, as we consider these verses, we've been reminded that Jesus is the Saviour who commands people to follow him. He's the Saviour who commands people to follow him. That's what we see in John 21. Jesus issues this imperative to Peter, follow me. And when Peter gets distracted, when Peter gets diverted by thoughts about what will happen to John, Jesus tells Peter that that is none of his business. Instead, Peter must just occupy himself with following Jesus. And that is so important for us to think about today. Jesus is the Saviour who commands men and women, young and old, single and divorced, widowed and married, to follow him. He calls them to follow him at the beginning of their Christian pilgrimage. That when you become a Christian, you respond to that command, follow me. And he calls them to follow him on every step of their journey, of their Christian pilgrimage. All the twists and turns on the road. All the successes and setbacks. Jesus says on every step of the journey, you follow me. Covid's coming, follow me. Costs of living, follow me. Weather, follow me. Whatever is going on in your life, follow me. And he calls them to follow him at the end of their earthly pilgrimage. When the journey of life draws to a close and the race has been run, Jesus again says, follow me. I often think about that in relation to the death of a Christian. That however a Christian dies, whether it be through old age or whether it be through a, a, a really tragic circumstance, however a Christian dies... They are hearing in that last moment the voice of Jesus saying, Follow me. Follow me. The non-Christian hears nothing. But the Christian hears the word. Follow me. And so as we come to the end of our studies in this flawed follower of Jesus... This man called Peter and his very rocky road of discipleship. I want to ask this question. Are you following after Jesus? Are you following after Jesus? For some of us, this is a call to start doing so for the very first time. Maybe today. Maybe the second Sunday of January. Jesus is calling you for the very first time. Follow me. Maybe for others of us, this is a call to get back up on the road and walking after him. Maybe you've stopped. Maybe you've backslid. Maybe you've gone back into the world a little. Maybe you've become distracted. Maybe you've become diverted. Maybe you're wondering what on earth you're doing in this building today. And Jesus is saying to you, follow me. Don't remain where you are. Don't go backwards. Just follow me. And maybe for others of us, this is simply a call to keep on going until we come to the end of the journey and enter into what Peter would describe as the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. It's as if Jesus is cheering you on as he says, follow me, follow me. And so I ask you the question again, friend, 
Are you following after Jesus? I'm not asking, is your husband following after him? I'm not asking, is your wife following after him? I'm not asking, are your parents following after him? I'm not asking, are your children following after him? I am putting the question to you just as Jesus put it to Peter. Are you following after him? That's what Jesus says to you today. He comes to you with this command. He says, follow me. Amen. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, as we close our studies in the life of Peter, this man who is so flawed, a man whom we can see so much of ourselves in, we ask and we pray that we would be those who simply follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe we don't follow in a perfect way. Maybe our following can be wayward and wandering at times, but we pray that in every step of life's journey, that we would be given that grace to follow after the Lord Jesus. That if any came into this building today, having never followed after Jesus until now, that today would be the day when they might indeed follow after him. That maybe for those of us who have perhaps wandered, those of us who have backslid, those of us who have maybe not been making much progress in our Christian journey, that we would be those who start following afresh today. And that maybe for others today who are simply going along that road and following after Jesus, that they would be hearing him, as it were, cheating them on, spurring them on with the words, follow me. Lord, we pray that we wouldn't be those who complicate the Christian life by thinking it's about our own feelings and about our own emotions looking for experiences and looking for various things going on in our lives, but that we would simply respond to Jesus and follow after him with hearts that beat with a love for him. And so we pray, O Lord, that this series in the life of Peter might have been a blessing to each and every one of us, those who are able to gather in person and those unable to gather in person. And that through looking at this flawed follower, we might find ourselves not conformed to the likeness and the image of Peter, but rather conformed to the likeness and image of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose glorious name we pray these things. Amen.